Hello, Ms. Powell. How are you today? Just peachy. How about you, Mr. Kaplinski? I am good. I am good. This is, um, and I think we agree on this, one of my favorite times of the year. Um, you know, not only do we get this plethora of good movies that the studios are holding back, but it's also a time to reflect on the year. And I always like going back and making a best of list, as I know you do as well. I do, and it, but I also find it conflicting. <laughs> I think it's hard. Even even for those that I think we both agreed we're going to have a special episode of Tied for 11th Place. Or Overlooked. Or there Overlooked. Were more than a few Overlooked really good films this year. I agree, I agree. So to me, I'm a little conflicted, and I think what it comes down to is we had a discussion about this. What films moved you the most? Mm -hmm. the personal ones to me. That doesn't mean that they're on everybody's top list. This is my list. And I think that's what I'm excited about sharing is, A, I'm female and I'm over 30. So I have what does a, that have to do with anything? <laughs> I have a different viewpoint. I think we all go into <laughs> I think we all go into seeing a movie with the baggage that we've accumulated throughout our do. lives. Mm -hmm. And my baggage, even though we're similar in age, over thirty, um, I have different baggage than you do. And so we see films in a different way. And I think that's really exciting to share different opinions and have different voices be heard. You know, I have, I've always said that if I were ever, unfortunately, in the dating world again. Uh, probably the first question I would ask someone is, what's your favorite movie? Because as you just s said about the baggage and thing, I think that tells a lot about a person. I as agree. far as is, is what they value and what they respond to and things of that nature. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, we're going to run down our top ten list here, and then there will be a future show, as I say, where we you know, mention things that were overlooked. Maybe didn't crack the top ten but still definitely worth finding. And really, you're in a, we live in a lucky age right now. I mean, film has never been more accessible right. than it is right now. So it's much easier to hunt these things down and really have you know, meaningful film-going experiences, or I should say film-viewing experiences. There's, there's just a lot of good stuff out there. And sometimes there's almost too much that it's hard to sort through, and that's well, where we're here to help you out. So let's start it off. I'd like you to start us off with number 10. Number 10. What's on your list for number 10? Avengers Endgame mm. was on my list for number 10. And before you scoff, I did if not I scoff, remember I correctly, have, mm. yeah, but you, but if I remember correctly, you gave that film four stars. I did. I and did. if I remember correctly, you were sitting next to me during that film, and I think you wiped a tear or two away Damn while it. watching this <laughs> stupid superhero movie. <laughs> If I remember correctly, it was one of the best ones. I do have to say. Yeah. Now I know this has haven't been this hasn't been making a lot of top ten lists, but I'm going to include it, you know, with apologies to Martin Scorsese, for a couple reasons. For the type of film it is, it's expertly made. Mm -hmm. It is expertly made. There's no question about it. The state of the art special effects we see, the world building that we see. I mean, it is top notch. Uh, and also the performances are very very good. Yes, I know it's not Shakespeare. I get it. I get it, but within the realm of these films, everyone brings their A-game. And I think you also have to compliment Marvel on what they've accomplished here. 22 films, 22 movies leading up to this final chapter, and I truly cannot imagine them wrapping this up or ending this thing any better than it was here. I think it's just a magnificent, monumental achievement in modern filmmaking and I think it has to be you know referenced and I've seen it three times and I'm swept away each time yeah you know I, I I'm not even gonna scoff at this at all because you're right I really did enjoy this and while I didn't enjoy all 22 films that we watched I did become connected and I did care about these characters and to me that is a movie if I'm connected emotionally to a character and I cared about each and every single one of these people 
And that shows how good this movie is because yeah. you aren't invested. Yeah. You are not invested in this, and no. that's fine. Right. But still, you were able to get sucked into what yeah. was going on. Yeah, yeah. So I, and I, I think that tear was when uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, uh, did her thing, right? Because I know she's a favorite of yours. I don't think it was. I think it might have been a different time that that oh, Okay, happened. well, you know, it was dark in the theater. So what was your number 10? My number 10 was The Report. And I have to tell you, a lot of these movies I've seen two and three times now, and I don't typically do that. That means it's a good film. It, it does. It, it sucks you back in. And yeah. I got more and more out of The Report the second and the third time that I watched it. It's a complicated film. It's a, it is. It's a film for our time. And it's a film that hits every single aspect of our lives today, even though this took place several years ago. And it's about the um, torture report that was buried. Mm -hmm. Adam Driver is exceptional in this film. And I think he's got three movies out this year. Yeah, he's been busy. And it just shows us his range and what he can do. He can go from being Darth Vader's grandson and mm -hmm. I liked him in that role, mm -hmm. to being in The Marriage Story, where my heart broke for him, and then in the report where he really, he punctuated the need to be diligent and honest in mm -hmm. government and uh, as a servant to our society. Yeah, very stalwart in an atmosphere of corruption. You're right, it is a complicated film, and I need to go back and watch it again, because I'm sure there are things... I didn't catch. But it's not a complicated film that frustrates you no. and makes you want to just turn it off. No. I, I want to put that out there because right. I know when you give a description of a movie like this, people are like, uh, I don't want to sit and think. I just got yeah. to be entertained. <laughs> well, you know, having your mind stimulated is entertaining. And right. that's certainly what this film does. And it also is a movie that outrages you as well. And right. we've had more than a few of those, especially this time of year, these social justice films like uh, The Report, Dark Waters, Richard Jewell, Just Mercy, right. they're all right there. And you're right, it is a film for our times because it's a time to be angry. There's a lot of injustice going on and it needs to be addressed. And uh, this film does that well. This is the first time Scott Burns has directed a film, which is an incredible undertaking. He's written many a screenplay, but this is the first time he's sat in the director's chair. Yeah, and quite an achievement. Oh, Oh, it's a complicated incredible. story. And this is something that you can watch now on Amazon. Amazon, yep. exactly. All right, so man, we're, we're nobody's going away with a black eye so far. So I agree with your number ten, <laughs> shockingly, and I think you're okay with my number ten. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think we're gonna we're gonna start to have some overlap because my number nine is the Mustang. Ah, very good. A film that I found haunting. Oh, that's a perfect word to describe Just it. Just absolutely haunting. I I also make a list of 10 best scenes of the year and number one on my list is the final image of this film. Uh, it's heartbreaking. It is just, you know, and film is such a powerful medium and I think one of the reasons it's a powerful medium is because it combines music and dialogue and visuals, you know, all those things combine to make just, you know, something that's overwhelming. But this final image in this film is so simple. It's so simple, and it sums up the entire experience of this man who is in prison. He's been in a program in which he's been assigned a wild horse, a Mustang, in order to train, and he sees himself in this horse. And I don't want to tell you what happens, but there is something very dire that happens between he and the horse, and it leads them both very, very changed. This is a movie, you know, I, I love going into films where I don't know anything. You know, you just, just, just don't know anything or very little, and then you're open to being surprised. And that certainly was the case with me. I mean, I think I saw this back in March or April. Mm -hmm. I think you saw it even earlier than I that. I saw it at, at Sundance, Sundance. Yeah. yeah. And it's still one that just sticks with you. How do you say the actor's name? Matthias? Uh, Matthias Schoenarts. Schoenarts, yes. And you know, you might not know the name, but you know this guy when you see him. European actor. He's popped up in some American films as well. He's always good. And he's great here as this guy who uh, 
He's, he's at the end of his rope. Even though you might not be in the situation he's in, you can relate to the pain he's going through. And, and this is really one to hunt up, the Mustang. It is. And I, and I like what you said about how he and the horse have a lot of parallel lines and lives throughout this entire film. Just a heartbreaking tale of, of how captivity can change somebody. Yeah, I get choked up thinking yeah, about well, it. Yeah, well, this is on your list too. <laughs> yes, that's number seven for me. So we'll, we'll go ahead and skip over to my number seven, which is the Mustang. Well, but, you know, and that's, you know, we're going to have a couple, I think, of crossovers. And I think that speaks to the power of those films. Right. Again, this is when I think last year's version of this was The Rider. Mm -hmm. as well. These small human films that deserve to be uh, looked at again. And I think we'll touch on that one when we do our Overlooked. And, you know, it also reminds me of Lean on Pete the year yeah, before. Yeah. I mean, all of these films about uh, isolation, basically. Right. And, and trying to make to some sort of connection. Yeah. And the need for that. We need to be connected oh, yeah. to one another it's, it's in a positive way. Part of being human. Yeah, it is. So number nine for you. Number nine for me is Ophelia with Daisy Ridley, who you'll know from Star Wars. Ophelia is a different take on Shakespeare's Hamlet. And for those of you who are probably rolling your eyes down saying blah, 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 Shakespeare, blah, 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 give this one a chance. This is a totally different take. Ophelia said from her point of view, this whole story takes place through her eyes. She's a strong woman who is battling her station in life and trying to work up and out of that station as she falls in love with Hamlet. The sequence of events is very different than what Shakespeare has written, and the writer and director, Claire McCarthy, um, takes a different spin on things, keeping a little bit of true Shakespeare as far as the language goes, but making everything even more eloquent, if you can imagine that. Twisty ending that I didn't see coming that is very fitting. So that's my number nine. I think we talked before, and you know, when you make your top ten list, you have an initial list, and mine was about 20, 22 films, and Ophelia was on that. Was it really? Yeah, I okay, did enjoy cool. it. You know, I know the play very well, and just seeing this from a different perspective, I thought it was just an incredibly clever film, and it makes you want to go back to Hamlet and read it again, and like, oh yeah, now I'm looking at this a bit differently. Uh, oh, it's interesting how she took that idea and ran with it in that direction. Mm -hmm. I marveled at how clever this thing was. You know, some 500 years after the play has been written, right. they're still finding new insights and, and finding new ways to look at this. And th this modern version with her at the forefront couldn't be more timely. Right. One of my favorite scenes is when she gets into a fist fight and she holds her own. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a you great don't, take because she's not taking any her, crap man. from anybody. Also, colors. Colors are really important in this film Very as much. well. Absolutely beautiful. I believe it's filmed in Prague and it takes advantage of this castle and the desolation and the confinement of what a castle provides. That was my number, number nine. Glad it was on your top 25 or so list yeah, initially. Yeah. It was knocking on the door. It was knocking on the door. And again, it's, I like that because that means it was a pretty good year. My number eight is a small movie again called Diane. And Diane kind of came and went if it even came to your town at all. Film from writer-director Kent Jones. And he wrote this film particularly for actress Mary Kay Place. And she plays the title role. I can't remember who the poet was, but the person who said something about us living lives of quiet desperation. And that certainly is Diane here, a woman who works very hard. She looks out for her friends. Uh, nothing special about her life, just a hard-working, ordinary woman. But we come to find out that some of the things she's doing, there are some things from her past that she can't forgive herself for. And some of the things she's doing come off as penance to pay for these perceived sins that she has committed. Uh, she has a very troubled son who's a drug addict, and she's dealing with that. 
his solution to his problem, because he does get a handle on his problem in a way, poses its own brand of difficulty, and that's about all I'll say. Right. Jake Lacey plays her son in that. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I was just stunned by this performance. You know, Mary Kay Place has been around forever, and she's an actress we take for granted. You know, she shows up in movies like, oh, yeah, her, her. Right. And I think Jones recognized the power of her and wrote this film particularly for her. It's a sad movie, but it's a movie, it, it, it's unlike any other movie as far as being able to relate mm -hmm. to her, her loneliness, her looking for purpose, which we all go through at times. And I think that was the thing that moved me most, her seeking out some sort of purpose and her seeking out a sense of self-worth, which somehow life has just beaten out of her. And we're, we've all been there. You know, and to me, I saw her in a little different light. I saw her as somebody who didn't allow herself to be happy and yeah. doted on everyone else so that she didn't have to deal with her own issues. Yeah, because she doesn't think she's worthy of that. Right, right. So, yeah, she had an incredible performance, very really kind of a removed performance. Yeah, it's a lot of it's interior, yeah, but yeah. you can tell. Oh, you can feel it, absolutely, and, and I definitely related to that as well. Nice choice, Chuck, wow. Yeah, who would have thought along. that I, you know, <laughs> might, might have something intelligent to say? Who would have thunk it? <laughs> <laughs> and my number eight is Just Mercy, and it's based on the book by the same name. Um, Brian Stevenson is the author of this, and I actually read the book prior to the film being made. When it came out, I was blown away by how they were able to take this information from the book. It's based on a true story about a man who is wrongly accused in the South. He's black and he's wrongly accused of a brutal, brutal, violent murder of a young girl in town. He's used as a scapegoat and there's a lot more hidden beneath um, this, like um, other films that we've talked about, angers you as you see the injustices continue out throughout the entire film and you don't know how this is going to turn out. And even, even the end of the film, you leave the theater enlightened, a little angry, and awakened as to what is actually happening in our world. Thoughtful performance by Michael B. Jordan, who plays the, the main role of the lawyer. Beautifully done, great performances. Uh, Jamie Foxx, as well as Michael B. Jordan and Brie Larson star in this film. Great book, read it, then go see the movie. They stick to it. Rarely does that happen. You know, these movies, they, they, uh, they walk a fine line. Uh, you've got to make sure that you don't over overstate things. You don't want this thing to become a melodrama. And they find the right tone for this film. And, and uh, I think it's grounded by the performances, especially Fox and uh, Jordan. I didn't buy Brie for a second. Okay. I, I had problems with her. I think they changed her character a little bit for the movie than what I recall in the book as well. And she's kind of an ancillary character. That I say they should have seem... changed it by leaving her out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it would have been a lot better because I think really the relationship between these two men you know, is at the, at the center of this whole thing. Right. Uh, again, this finding of purpose for this, this young lawyer, uh, this whole wake-up call, as it were, or as, you know, what his true purpose should be. You know, I, I, I think that maybe it's because he doesn't work that often, but Jamie Foxx is in danger of becoming one of those guys that we take for granted as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every time I see him in a movie, it's like, God, he is so good. He is. You know, and he's so diverse. I mean, I remember, I, I don't know if it was his... I don't know if Baby Driver was yeah. the film before this. I think it was. Because he's taken a break there. Mm -hmm. I was like, my God, boy, he was really good there. Mm -hmm. You know, and a different, completely different role. So, but it reminds you just how good he is. And as you say, a movie that just 
really, really gets under your skin, and, and that's exactly what it should. How about you? What was your number seven? Number seven. Probably the movie that surprised me more than any other this year. Brittany <laughs> Runs a okay. Marathon. You know, I toyed with that one as well. I don't know why. Maybe I had low blood sugar that day. <laughs> uh, maybe I, I, I have no idea, but I wept you through did. this film. You did. I wept through this film for this woman, this poor woman, who beat herself up. I mean, this movie is about, you know, it sounds like such a cliche, but it's about finding yourself. It's about loving yourself right. again. Uh, and Brittany, played by Jillian Bell. Jillian Bell. I mean, she really, you know, I think one of the things that they did a disservice with this film was that they put Jillian Bell at the forefront and they tried to sell this as kind of a comedy. There's a couple of funny moments in it, but this is not a comedy. This is really a, a serious character study about this woman who has gotten lost and, and discovers how to make herself feel of worth. Right. And that's just such a valuable, valuable lesson. Our lives move so quickly. Uh, we have so many things in the world that can tear us down. And I think we're very vulnerable to that. I, I think that when someone does something bad to you, it hurts much more than the positive you get right. from when somebody does something nice to you. Isn't that strange how human nature is like that, though? Yeah, I you think it, it speaks to, for most of us, a, a sense of insecurity that yeah. we have. Mm -hmm. uh, and that certainly is at the core here. And just uh, the trials that this woman goes through and the fact that she never gives up and the fact that this was based on a true story, mm -hmm. I just was unexpectedly moved by this movie. That's great. And, and I find a commonality between Diane and Very much Brittany. so. That's interesting. Very much so. Great movie. I highly recommend it as well. That's going to be on my list of overlooked films. Didn't you see this at Sundance as well? I or did. Or you were early on that yeah, one as well? Yeah, I was well. early on that one as well. I, I picked some really great winners when I went to Sundance this last year. Hopefully this year will be the same. And this one you can find mm. on Amazon as well, I right? believe. Yes, you can stream it now. And then my number seven is Mustang. We've already talked about that, so I'm going to throw it back to you. No, no, you move nope. up to number okay, six. I'll, I'll leave it out in the end, I have a feeling. <laughs> uh, is Ford versus Ferrari. This, again, was based on a true story. I guess I really like the movies that are based on true stories or that can be adapted from mm -hmm. a book. They really seem to speak to me. I think I probably ranked this one a little higher maybe than some people did because... I like cars. <laughs> you like cars? Uh, I like cars. Um, and this actually comes from my son, who was a total gearhead when he was a little kid. He could name every make and model of car when he was 18 months old and younger. So cars have been a part of my life for a long time because of him, not before that mm -hmm. time. So he's the one that alerted to me to this film, and this film was so much more than something about cars. It was about loyalty and friendship and a brotherly relationship, and the big guy versus the little guy. It had so many different components. Matt Damon and Christian Bale are extraordinary on screen together. Their chemistry, you believe that they are friends. Matt Damon plays Carol Shelby, and um, Christian Bale um, plays the race car driver. Ken Miles. Ken Miles, thank you. I was blanking on uh, that. I could see it on yeah, your face. Yeah, you could, couldn't you? You yep. know me well. I loved Tracy Letts in this film. I think he's somebody who's kind of overlooked, too. He can carry a film. He is an extraordinary mm -hmm. live theater actor. Yes, I've seen him at the Steppenwolf. I was thankful that I was able to see him And live. a writer. He wrote, and, he wrote yeah. August Osage County and a few other things. Yeah, so, yeah. Killer Joe, one of mm -hmm. my favorites. So he, he's spectacular in the role of Henry Ford the second. Second, I think yeah. It was. yeah. Okay. Deuce. 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 Oh, that's right, Deuce, mm -hmm. yeah. Fun film, kept me going the entire time. I saw it at the Toronto International Film Festival. 
school at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, and I stayed awake. So that says a lot for that right there. That is way past it your bedtime. That is way past my bedtime, especially East Coast time. So good performances, great writing, compelling script. Yeah, I like this movie too, James Mangold. He's always been a solid filmmaker. I read an interview and he said that when he, appro- he approached this uh, by thinking of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And you can see that, mm-hmm. that sense of camaraderie, that sense of loyalty, as you say. And you want to see Damon and Bale in another movie. Yes. You want to see yes. these guys make a couple more films because, as you say, that chemistry they have is just, it seems effortless. <laughs> right. And contains one of my favorite scenes of the year in which Shelby takes Henry Ford II for a little ride. <laughs> <laughs> little ride. Gets him in the sports car that they've been developing, and they tear around these airport runways. And Ford finally figures out just exactly what he's asking these guys to do because he ends up at the end of this ride in tears (laughs) and realizes just what he's asking them to do and what kind of a man Ken Miles is as far as what he's risking and what he's able to do in order to achieve this goal that he wants. I love that moment. Really great moment. uh, um, Interestingly, I guess Tracy Letts was strapped into that car. Matt Damon was quote-unquote driving. There was somebody in the back back that was actually driving. And I guess everyone was watching on camera Tracy Letts' reaction, and that was not acting. (laughs) (laughs) He was really petrified and excited all at the same time. That's great. So, yeah, that was a great scene. That brings us to number five. Or you got number six? Number six. Okay. This is one I think it's the first one we're going to really disagree on. Okie dokie. Midsummer. Not going to disagree on uh, that. Ari Aster's modern horror film with an incredible performance from Florence Pugh as a young woman who is completely lost. She suffered a great tragedy in her family. She's an incredibly vulnerable young woman, so that means that she is the perfect candidate for being taken to a midsummer ceremony. That's- that takes place in Sweden. And this is something that happens every 90 years, and she's taken there by a college friend, and her boyfriend goes, and a few others, and it's just going to be a nice little break and just so pleasant and going to learn about a new culture, and boy, it ain't. It's so well, much she learns about more. another culture. She <laughs> certainly does. And boy, they take advantage of the fact that she is so vulnerable at this point in her life. This is the type of horror film I like. It's smart. It's such a smart, smart film. And it's also a movie that takes its time. Aster does a great job of just slowly sucking us in to this whole situation that these people find themselves in. We are in their footsteps the entire, every step of the way. And so so the horror that occurs to them or the things that happen to them, we experience in a vicarious way that's really hard to pull off. And I love the fact that this is a horror film in which it's sunlight all the time. Right, right. There's not one dark scene at all. None of these gotcha jump scares or anything. It's all about atmosphere. And it's all about telling this story that completely engulfs you. Again, Florence Pugh, I can't say enough about her. She carries this film, and it's an incredibly taxing role. Oh, gosh. uh, Emotionally and physically. And the metaphors and symbolism in this movie, as far as what we're dealing with now as a society, can't be ignored. This is one that really, really stuck with me. Yep. The aging. That's that's one one topic they they definitely tackle. Uh Do you have a favorite scene in this movie? Oh, uh, probably the scene we can't talk about in which uh, Jack O'Connell finds himself uh, 
in, in a situation where he thinks it's going to be great and it ain't. Oh my God! <laughs> oh, that was that was something else. That's going to stay in my mind for a long yeah. time, as yeah. well as the ending and the tone of this film. It's horrifying, but then it's funny. Yeah. And it's horrifying. And it's funny. And, that's and you hard find yourself laughing at things that you don't really think you should be laughing and at. And that sometimes is nervous laughter yeah. as well. True. It's hard to pull that off, and he does it masterfully here. This this was truly an intelligent, well done horror movie. It stayed with me for a long time. It still stays with me. And not on my top 10 list, but those are personal reasons why. It has nothing to do with the filmmaking. And that is our 10 through 6 list. And we want to take a break here and thank one of our sponsors, Sylvia's Irish Inn. Wonderful place to stay. Feels like home. Feels like you're wrapped up in a warm, fuzzy blanket, as you said one time. The only problem with Sylvia's Irish Inn is that you don't want to leave. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> she, it's just wonderful. She cooks really well. It's super yeah. comfortable, and you're right. It's actually and it's decorated better than my house. Sylvia's like your mom away from home. Yes, so, that's yeah. a good way to put that. Yeah. So thank you, Sylvia. 312 and West Green Street in Urbana. When in Urbana, this is the place to stay. You got it. That brings us to the top five of mm -hmm. 2019. And again, reiterate why you chose your top five. Again, as I said, you make that first cut, and there's 20, 25 movies there, and the ones that finally speak to me are the ones that spoke to me, the ones that had some sort of emotional impact on me and uh, that's that makes the cut there are a lot of films out there that are expert expertly made from a technical point of view right. but you've got to have some sort of impact on me as far as my emotions are concerned to make the top 10 right which is why we both have different lists although our lists do overlap so what does that say does that, that means say i'm that rubbing off are... on you <laughs> oh you think so <laughs> yeah could it be that or is it that there were that few good movies this year, so there's that overlap. I think this year, and I and I do have probably a good 10 that are below my top 10 Knocking list. Knocking on the door. But it was a little harder to find those, I think, this year than it was last year. And I also think that the studios held everything way too late and bombarded us. So did I really appreciate everything as much as I should have? Yeah, and that's the thing, because there will be movies that I'll go back and watch again. Right. And you reevaluate and like, wow, I missed the boat on that one. Yeah. I like that one better yeah. than I thought I did. Yeah. So, but you're right. That rush at the end was insane. It always is insane. But this year particularly seemed to be just an avalanche of films that were hard to keep up on. How about you? Number five. You start us off, Chucky. American Woman, a movie that came and went if it came at all to your city. If you saw this, it was probably on POV because it didn't have the distribution that it deserves. Sienna Miller is the uh, woman. Deb is her name. She's kind of an irresponsible adult. I mean, she had a child young. She kind of thinks of only herself, and that's about it, until her daughter goes missing one day, and she is forced to then raise her grandson on her own. This is the wake-up call that Deb has needed all of her life, and the movie covers about 15 years as we see her change because she realizes this responsibility has fallen into her lap, and that she needs to stand by her grandson. We watch her grow. We watch her get a decent job, a decent education. We find her going through a couple of different boyfriends, both of who uh, don't treat her correctly in two different ways. But all this makes her a stronger woman, makes her a stronger woman who knows that in the end she can rely on herself, that no matter what comes her way, she can handle it. And despite the fact that her experiences are tinged with a great deal of tragedy, She's a stronger person in the end. There was a devastating scene in this movie, in the third act, 
And I've never seen Sienna Miller this good. She is so good in this film. A great overlooked performance, I think, of this year. You feel this woman's pain. You know this woman. You've seen this woman before on the street or in your lives. Just really burrows in on that. And I, I really loved her. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that. This is a slice of America. Mm -hmm. This is this could be your hometown. This could be your backdoor That's neighbor. That's the title. Right. And, and she truly does typify that. We do know this woman. And the, the pain that she goes through, it does make her stronger, although I wouldn't wish that pain upon Not anybody. Anyone, no. And I think that, you know, we were talking earlier, this is an incredible story, but I think Sienna Miller is the one who makes it so powerful, so incredible, that speaks to you. It spoke to me as well, mm -hmm. and I really hope that she gets some sort of recognition from some critics group out there somewhere. Yeah. All right, so I have my number five, and I think we're going to overlap a little bit here on our top five, and I have Pain and Glory. This, to me, is it's, it's a film about Pedro Amadovar. It stars Antonio Banderas, and he it, it's, it's about Pedro's life, although... As you're watching it, you don't need to know that that is his life that mm -hmm. he is replicating. And it's all about life choices and the regrets that we have in life and the decisions and why we made them at the time and how those, those past experiences not only affect your current day situation and decisions, but your future ones as well. This is a thoughtful film um, that really touched me. It slowly uncovers and reveals who Antonio Banderas's character is and what he's gone through. I was crying at the end. Yeah. This one really, yeah. really hit me. And it's a topic matter that really, if you look at who he is, I cannot relate to it. But it's the experiences that he went through that I think everybody can. He finds himself, he, he hides. He's hiding from life. I mean, from his experiences, from the pain that he is dealing with. He, he is suffering quite a few physical problems. And we've all been there. Uh, so I think that's where it's relatable. I also want to mention Penelope Cruz, who plays the mother character who we see in flashback. And those scenes where Aww. we see him as a boy <laughs> and he, she's taking care of him in the best way she can. They're, they're very poor, but she makes a home wherever they're at. And you can understand why he holds her in, in such high regard. And again, the final scene in this movie, what a surprise. Yeah. What a surprise. Beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful. And the whole film is beautiful right. because it's about, again, it, it, in many ways, it's kind of like Brittany runs a marathon. Right. It's about finding the will to go on again. It's about finding the, it, it's about not being so hard on yourself right. so well, that you can go on. It's relationships and mother, mother-son relationship. Completely. And that changes. It's interesting, too. He just couldn't be honest with her until later on in life and how that relationship changed, but also the relationship that he had with a significant other as well mm -hmm. as the relationship with himself and accepting who he is, much like Brittany. Again, self-worth. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of that, uh, that that's missing from him. And I think the other moving moment I, I felt with this was when he went to the doctor and he said, I need help. Yeah. And so many of us won't do that. Pride gets in the way. For him to finally say, I need help, I mean, that was his first step towards... And being honest. Coming back, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's my number four film, actually. Is it? Uh, Pain and Glory. Again, a film that I hope that he's nominated for an Oscar, Banderas, uh, because I think then that will get a wider release for the movie. So, so I'm really hoping for that because uh, this deserves to be seen much more than it has been. He's incredible. He's great. It's the best yeah. performance I've ever, you know, and he's always good. Yes. But he's different here. He's completely different. All right. That brings us to... Your number four. My number four. that was my four. number four and your that number was, five. Alrighty. Number four for me is Jojo Rabbit. This is 
I think, on my top list because it's unique. It's a it very, is definitely unique. It's a very creative film. It's ironic. It's funny. It's it's steeped in history, some pretty painful history, because it's about a little boy who has a pretend friend who happens to be Hitler, and this takes place back toward the end of World War II. There's a little girl that his mother, unbeknownst to him, is hiding, a Jewish girl, hiding in their attic. And he discovers her. But since he's such a little Nazi, he struggles with the possibility of should he report her and what would that ha- what would happen to his mother if he reported that where they were housing a Jewish girl. Some of the preconceived notions that this little boy has about who Jewish people are <laughs> makes you, yes, laugh out loud. Because it's so true how people become, <laughs> listen to, listen and don't think. Right, you know? right. There is a lot of humor. Sam Rockwell is in this, and oh my goodness, hysterical situations, but also very poignant situations as well. And in discussing this film after my son saw it, I said, you know, this particular situation actually did occur. So there's a lot of truth that's sprinkled within this movie as Mm -hmm. well. But I think the take-home message is well worth seeing, understanding, and hearing is that we need to be compassionate toward other people and really see each other all as human beings. And not only that, but question authority. (laughs) Question what they're telling you. Because Jojo uh, is completely buys into this. He's a 10-year-old boy. Why wouldn't he? His father's away fighting in the the war. I mean, why why wouldn't he believe that, uh, you know, yes, you know, the Aryan race is the greatest and Hitler is like a god. I mean, of course he buys into all this stuff. And the thing I loved about the movie is as Jojo changes, the view of Hitler (laughs) changes because we're seeing him through his eyes. And he becomes more buffoonish. And then he reveals his true self at the end, the the bully he is. And I loved that, that Mm -hmm. we're seeing this all through this kid's changing perception of his world. I watched this again the other night, actually. And I actually enjoyed it more the second time. I enjoyed it the first time, too. But it's funny as hell. But it's funny because it's dead on pointed in its humor. Right. It, it is just so timely. Uh, I can't Isn't even it? begin to, 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 to tell you. That and Midsummer really, for me, hit as far as this group think. You know, this whole notion yeah. of, oh, the individual doesn't count and you're going to be a freak if you don't go along with what everyone else is saying. And that's so dangerous. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone but Taika Waititi could have pulled this off as directing this film and making it funny and acceptable and socially relevant all at the same time. And he plays Hitler as well. And that whole tone thing is so tricky. Yes. The seriousness. And yeah. that broad we comedy. And, oh, God, there the are some Holocaust, moments. Yeah, sake. and there's a moment there that just I didn't see coming, and it knocked me back on my heels. Yeah, it's an impressive, impressive film. It was, it was number 11 on my list. It was knocking on the door. But okay. It's definitely well worth seeing. The little boy who plays Jojo, Roman Griffin Davis, is extraordinary in it, as is uh, Scarlett Johansson. I really enjoyed her performance. Okay, and that's I know. on record. It she said record. it. She I said it. Scarlett was awesome in this role. Well, she's probably going to get nominated for this and probably going to be nominated twice this year. For marriage story as well. Yeah, could so be. We'll see. Could very well be. So, oh, we line up here number three on my list and number three on your list. The Criminally Underseen, Todd Haynes' Dark Waters, a movie that I think infuriated me more than anything I've seen in years. True story of attorney Robert Ballot, played by Mark Ruffalo, a guy who is a corporate attorney. He actually, his firm is famous for representing big corporations, especially chemical corporations who ironically ends up taking on the DuPont Corporation after he realizes that a farm 
in the backyard, basically, where he grew up, has been contaminated by DuPont to the point that it is not only affecting the land and the animals on it, but the citizens of that town in ways that are unbelievably grotesque and criminal. It, it's a fascinating story, uh, just an absolutely fascinating story and a heartbreaking story as we see these, I'm trying to be nice here, Okay. corporate people. <laughs> Putting profit against everything else right. before anything else and being so unconscionable in their actions uh, in the pursuit of the old, almighty dollar and the fact that Balot stands up against them. I mean, you know, we talk about these superhero films. This guy, he doesn't have a cape on, but man, he is such a hero. Such a fascinating true story as well. This is a movie that's going to make you want to read more about this guy and how this fight against DuPont lasted almost 20 years and is still going on as this corporation did everything they could to try and stymie this and put roadblocks in the way and delay it on down the line. Uh, a film that needs to be seen by everyone and it's criminal that it did not catch fire at the box office like I thought it would. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Mark Ruffalo is incredible in this role. He is another person who transforms himself into Robert Balot. In very subtle ways. Yes, but, but the very, very meaningful ways. You know, yes, you, exactly. You had, you had noticed his slouched shoulders. Yes, I had yes. noticed his facial mannerisms. Uh -huh. And, you know, he's not this, this proud, boisterous type of lawyer who, who wants to showboat everything around. And it's not an over-the-top showboat performance. No. It's it, those little things. Yeah, and, and also I give a lot of credit to the law firm that stood behind him. Yeah. And allowed him for 13 years to not have any billable hours in order to take on DuPont and not lose hope. Incredible film. This changed my life. This changed how I live mm -hmm. it today. Mm -hmm. It will change you. Please find this movie when it's released on VOD or DVD. This will be, maybe we can get some DVDs and give it away. That'd be great. Yep. That'd be Let's great because this one that. needs to be rediscovered, found, shouted from the mountaintops. Yep. Thank you, Mark Ruffalo, for making this. Yeah, because as you have said before, he's very politically active, and he was one of the producers. Environmentally active, yeah. yeah. So that brings us to... Number two on your number list. Number two on my list. We're going to go, okay, we'll go ahead with, I'll, I'll say what my number two is, and it's The Irishman. Which happens to be my number one. Right. This one took me by surprise. The Godfather, okay, don't shoot me, and please don't send me any mail about the fact that I'm saying this. The Godfather's not my favorite movie. <laughs> I don't really enjoy a lot of violence in a film unless it has to do with the actual plot. So me looking forward to a mafia movie was not on my high list, but this one was phenomenal. We step inside the mafia and we are introduced to the right-hand man, Frank Sheeran, played by Robert De Niro. And he finds himself in involved with the mafia from a very young, young time in his life. He makes money through them. He is suffering from PTSD from World War II and finds that this is the best way to make his money. Time goes by and he finds himself in a unique situation where he is also befriended by the Teamster Union leader, played by Al Pacino, is Jimmy Hoffa. Frank Sheeran is in a precarious situation where he has to choose loyalty and understand friendship as well as how he's going to deal with those two situations. Scorsese does an amazing job of pulling you into this film and making you a part of it. And Robert De Niro makes you care about him. I cared about a killer, a hitman, someone who didn't think twice about blowing somebody's brains away. And for me to have an emotional connection with that, 
A, scared me a little bit, and B, made me really admire the writing and the acting mm-hmm. in this in this film. Yeah, the writing. I, I think you hit hit right on it because the writing. It, it, Scorsese takes his time here. You know, the movie's three and a half hours, and I don't want to hear, oh, that's too long, I can't see. Hey, you binge watch <laughs> 10 hours of Friends. Okay, I don't want to hear that crap, okay? Yeah, it's three and a half hours, deal with it. Because there's a reason for that. He sucks you into this world. It's an immersive experience. He takes his time because we get to know these guys, and that's why we do care about them. Sheeran, he's a tragic figure uh, because he justifies all this by saying, well, I need to provide for my family. And that's why he gets in these situations uh, that he's in, ultimately, where he has to choose between, you know, his mentor, played by Joe Pesci, and his good friend, Jimmy Hoffa. I think it all goes back. There's a scene early on in which we get a flashback to World War II, and he recounts how he, one of his duties was to go out and shoot Germans that they had captured. And he would tell them to dig their own graves, and then he would shoot them. And, then cut. and he, he says to himself, I always wondered why they just didn't stop digging. And in a sense, that's what Sheeran does his entire life. Mm-hmm. He digs his own grave, one action at a time. And you keep wondering, why doesn't he stop digging? And it never occurs to right. him. And he, ultimately, he is, he is alone. Right. He uh, has dug his own grave. He has dug his own grave, right. and there's no getting out of it. It's about the choices that you make right. and how ultimately you, you have to pay the piper. Yeah, and, and I like how religion seeps its way in, especially toward the end, and how important that is in the forgiveness issue. Yeah, well, that's a big Scorsese theme. I mean, yeah. he, he's always talking about yeah. that, that sense of redemption. I don't see any redemption here. You got me on that. I don't either. You know, I mean, because <laughs> when you stop and think about yeah. it, I, I don't see any, I, I can't think of anything he did to make up for things, and he certainly is paying for, for all he does by right. the end. Number, Number two, two for, for me you. was your favorite film of the year. Uncut Gems. He's lying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uncut Gems, and I'm going to say this right off the bat, is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Okay, Directed by the Softie Brothers. Their previous films did not impress me. I hate directors who let you know that they're directing. Their style is very manic. Their camera is constantly on the move. They go out of their way to ingratiate themselves in the story by showing you all the neat things they can do as directors. However... For this story about a jewelry, I guess the, the best thing was a jewelry salesman a who gets yeah. in over his head, played by Adam Sandler. I think that their manic style perfectly suited what this guy is going through. This is a guy who ha- enters into one scheme after another in an effort to get ahead. He's made some bad decisions in his life, and it seems as though every one of these bad decisions is coming back to haunt him over the course of this week that this film takes place on. And it's all coming down on him at the same time. And this manic approach to it, again, I know it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I thought it was a perfect way of telling this story, and it's perfectly matched by Adam Sandler, who gives the performance of his career. He is just barely in control of everything that's going on here. He is hanging by a thread. He is a completely reprehensible character, and you can't take your eyes off of him. I mean, he has a charisma about him where even though you know that you don't like him, you're still kind of hoping it all comes out in the end for him, and well... I'm not going to say anymore. Sandler impressed me so much in this film. I mean, he is, he is so charismatic here. I couldn't keep my eyes off of him. And I thought I was going to hate this movie. I ended up really loving it. Cool. Um, <laughs> you know, I will give you the fact that Adam Sandler has a performance of a lifetime. 
I completely agree with that. This is way out of the box for him. He still plays a man-child, but in a different way. Exactly right. Well he put. has not grown up. He doesn't make the right decisions any step of the way, <laughs> and it's infuriating. And, yeah. and you do not like your main character. You mm -hmm. do not like him. You cannot connect with him. You do not like him. Can and I, I think emphasize that's a, that? And that's a gutsy decision, I think. Sure it is, sure. I think what was so bothersome to me about this film is the the sensory overload. I agree. And I, I couldn't take that. I couldn't take... And I have been known to drop a lot of F-bombs in my life, but even this was, like, way overload for me. I know. It's shocking. And the the music, the score was, like, it, I needed earplugs. It was just, like, in my head and just, like, fingernails down a chalkboard. It was, like, eating me away inside. And then the kinetic, the frenetic camera movement and close-ups and back and forth, I was getting nauseous watching it. So all of those things together, it was just sensory overload for me and I could not take it. However, I had to see what happened to him. Yep. You had did. To. You had to I stick had it to. out, didn't you? I did. I did. I would not recommend it for everyone, like you said, and it is absolutely not on my top 10 list because there are too many elements in that that was just too offensive for my sensory system. It's purposeful. There's a reason for <laughs> that. As I said, it's mm -hmm. not for everyone. But as I said, there are other films. They seem to be doing things that had no purpose. I think that everything they did here was towards that purpose. Okay. Cool. Number one. Number one for you. Number one for me because your number one was The Irishman. My number one is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Marielle Heller is an extraordinary filmmaker director, and I think she was overlooked last year for Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy, and I think she has an equally expressive film in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is a story about not just about Fred Rogers, but it's more about Lloyd Vogel, played by Matthew Rise, and he is in a difficult situation in his life. He was a freelancer for Esquire magazine, and um, he is charged with going out and interviewing one of the heroes for their hero edition and that hero happens to be Fred Rogers. He is beside himself. He is angry about having to interview this host of a television show for children. Fred impacts his life in ways that he could never have imagined. I think this is a beautiful film with a positive message that again I'm going to reiterate this on a lot of my films this year. We need more positivity in this world. We need a take-home message of looking at others with kindness and this does. I like this film. I don't think it's the best film of the year. I think Tom Hanks gives one of the best performances of the year. You would think that, you know, Fred Rogers, what a simple guy. How could you do this? Uh, and I kept waiting to see the Tom Hanks mannerisms and the voice cadence that we come to know, and it's all gone. It is all gone. It is a masterful performance, and it's not a grandstanding performance. This is the type of performance, if I were a director, this is what you want, because this is a performance in service of the story. Right. He, he's not calling attention to himself, and that I think is part of the part of the magic of this. I, I was so moved by him. I think the story's okay, uh, but but by Hanks, you know that message that you and you're so right. That message of just being kind to one another. He drives that home uh, through Fred Rogers, and as you say, it's not a message that we can hear 
often enough. So in and of itself, that makes the film worth seeing. And I think the production design is really pretty fun yeah, and that cool, was pretty too. Cool. I that mean, was that was very cool. creative. And yeah. just the different camera angles that really capture the heart and the soul of Fred Rogers, as well as everyone that he is impacting. The subway scene. Yeah, and, Oh, my great. goodness. Was, I, I mentioned before I do the top ten scenes of the year, and included on that scene was the moment in the restaurant in which he says to stop and think. He asks for a minute of silence. Stop and think of those people who have loved you into existence. And that moment was so gorgeous because you're doing it yourself. I mean, and that's what you want as a filmmaker, that connection between that impersonal film, that impersonal screen that's in front of you with the audience. And as they're doing it, you're thinking of those people in your life too. And if you're not shedding a tear at that point, you got a heart of stone. And I'm crying now, exactly. so it worked. It's great, it's great. Yeah, yeah. And that is our top 10 of 2019. It was an interesting year. I wouldn't say it was an awful year. I wouldn't say it's an exceptional year. No, I wouldn't either. But definitely some highlights and not a waste of time. More than anything, what I came away from this year is that you really need to look. You really need to look for those smaller gems that are getting lost in the shuffle of the big budget things that eat up all the screens of the multiplex. Right, and hopefully we can call your attention to that so that you know what films to seek out. The other takeaway that I have from this year is how powerful the streaming options yes. have become. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, all really bumping up the ranks, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the years to come. I agree. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will have uh, another episode coming up next week. And thank you once again to one of our sponsors, Sylvia's Irish Inn. If you're in the Champaign-Urbana area, be sure to look her up, pop in, say hi, have a cup of tea with her high tea, or stay the night.